I'm Amy Pruitt. I'm Lisa Dumas. I teach Ayurveda and yoga. I teach yoga. I'm a yoga therapist in training, and I offer transformational coaching. But that's just part of the story. We're moms, daughters, wives, and friends. We're always learning, and we've both experienced healing by what we teach. And the intention of this podcast is to offer you our favorite tools from the traditions and sciences that support us as we navigate the realities and stressors of modern life. Each week, we'll share stories, answer your questions, and talk to others who inspire us. Welcome to the Radiant Warrior Podcast. Yoga and Ayurveda to reclaim a courageous heart. This week, Amy and I are so honored to introduce our first guest to the podcast, Mary Campbell, just a brilliant women's empowerment and intimacy coach, counselor, and educator. She's the founder and executive director of Walking Our Talk Women's Creation Circles and is the author of the forthcoming book, The Pleasure Playbook, 13 Invitations for Awakening Joy. Mary offers sensuality workshops and retreats for women and couples near her home in the Berkshire Hills of Western Massachusetts and around the world. She works privately with individuals and couples wishing to deepen their heart and body connections. And I was fortunate enough to experience you, Mary, live and in person at a blissful women's retreat in Mexico where you offered the chance for women who are feeling overwhelmed and overworked and disconnected from their hearts and their bodies, a chance to deeply restore and not the kind of rest and restoration that so many of us will turn to when we're feeling burned out that ends up depleting us more, but real, true reinvigoration of our innate energy. And I just appreciated it so much. I got so much out of it. Mm, Thank you very much for taking that in. (laughs) And I also want to let Amy know and our listeners know that you really embody what it is you teach. You're modeling it at all times. And I haven't shared this with Amy yet. I recently got to see you in person because I'm taking this yoga therapy training in upstate New York, and it turns out that you live nearby in Massachusetts, so you were kind enough to open your home to me after I traveled all day the day before the retreat, and everything was delayed. My flight was delayed, and then the luggage was delayed coming out, and so I was supposed to get on the road to you by about 5. I didn't get on the road till 7.30, and I was starting to feel just a little bit worried about getting to you too late. And, you know, you just texted me to that it was okay and that I should just trust that everything's happening as it should and you never know what magic may occur, you added. That's right. <laughs> Remember. <laughs> so you're, you really are, you're living what you're teaching and I really appreciated that. And it was, I was able to just calm right down and actually start enjoying the journey. I am so glad. And it's really what life is. Life is this journey. Life is really taking whatever comes because we don't control that. There's no way we can control most of what happens. We tend to think we can, you know, but really in truth, we can't. And so living in a way where you take what comes, but you really try to find the magic. You really look for something about that that can ease your way, that can really find a space of enjoyment in the midst of it. You know, I've been in situations that are crazy and 
once in a while been able to access that. I can't say all the time because sometimes life does just a little bit too much, but it is that that living from the possibility, living from the pleasure that's everywhere around us all the time, and we just don't see it because we're sort of have blinders on taking us out of what's in the moment and putting us in the fear of what was or anticipation of what's coming. And that's really the magic is staying right here in the moment. I just, I just felt my shoulders like relax down and my breathing slow down when the two of you were talking about your journey, Lisa, to get to her and then how you embody all of that, Mary, and you know, that space you created for her. <laughs> it was a joy to have you here. We just, we had such a lovely time. And um, yeah, the, I like that sense of welcoming people uh, because it is sort of welcoming them into my my little paradise here, my sweet little home, you know, next to the woods, and and I've created a a life that suits me here, uh, with with having had all sorts of crazy machinations in my life, so adventures and family and you know a, a full plate of life. So it, I, it's such fun and such a joy to to invite people here. Mm. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time to speak with us and to our listeners. Um, Lisa has spoke so highly of her time with you, and I really look forward to getting to know you more. Can you, for me and for our listeners, describe the work that you do and how you help women and couples? I had a, a sort of a interesting midlife crisis, I would guess I would say, in my marriage and with my children growing up, where I really needed to find, I needed to find a way of being more participating in the world in a more powerful way. I was a music teacher, and I loved that, but um, and directed choirs, but I really wanted to have a greater impact, and this being able to work with, I primarily work with women and couples uh, to, to look at their lives. Most women, most women, I think in our culture are strung out, overworked, uh, overwhelmed, triggered, distracted. You know, we just have, we try to do so much and just, uh, I have a huge amount of compassion for what women put themselves through because we really, especially this generation, and I'm a bit older than you both, but understanding that I feel like my generation was the first one that could really had that idea that we could have it all. And, you know, there was no reason not to do that. So the demands we put in ourselves and the excellence we expect feeds that sort of overwhelm. We just can't manage it. And so because the feminine is so giving and generous, we, we, it's our nature to help, to support, to encourage, to make it easy for other people. And that on top of doing a job and, you know, of course we have to stay in shape and we have to make sure we're, our, our weight is just right and we have to make sure we look good and we have to make sure uh, we're perceived well in the community and we have to be involved in the PTO and it just goes on and on. So what I've found that, that my work is really to help women come back to what is our origin as feminine beings. This is almost less about gender, but it is since we're women, we have a capacity to connect with our sensual selves, with the earth, with, with this, this part of us. It feels like my work is really to help women remember who they are 
that they're women, that they're sensual beings, that their, their joy comes from living in their heart and living in their truth. And the truth we often minimize so that no one's hurt, no one else has, has to sacrifice, but living from the authority that comes through our hearts is really, I think, the biggest answer for what we need in this world. But to do that, we have to be connected to our bodies. And most of us really aren't. You know, we may work out or do yoga, but we don't know how to really come into our bodies and feel and sense and trust those experiences as just as important as what our brain tells us. So the work I do is to help women come back to their joy, come back to the pleasure of living in their bodies, and begin to look at what blocks that and look at what we can do in our lives to shift things, anything that blocks our essence, because beneath all of our compensations and work that we do day to day, it's really our essence. It's this beautiful, shining light of who we are. And when we're busy, we forget that, and it's hard to access it. So I have practices and uh, experiences and recommendations that help women come back for that. You are definitely speaking right to the heart of so much of what we speak about. We are both yeah, in our late 40s, and I still have a teenager at home, and I hear you talk about the demands on our life and then reconnecting back with our bodies. Now, I know that you've likely been where we are, where some days it just it feels so exhausting at the end of the day. Um, can you tell us a little bit about what made you make the changes that you have? You've already mentioned that you've created this, this beautiful piece of magic for yourself in your life, which is another way that you embody what you teach. You have really created a unique life that serves you. Um, talk to us about when you realized that you had to make those changes and what you did. Well, I was in my mid-40s. I was teaching music. Um, my, my marriage was struggling. I had three kids. My children were at that point, middle school down to first grade. And I was overwhelmed. I had a, a husband who was really had a demanding career. Um, we, we, he was president of the co-op. I was president of this and beyond that board. And we were so active in the community, but I was really uh, not fed. You know, I had, a, I had a yoga practice, I was physical, I did, I, I was meditating, I knew all those things, um, but I, I wasn't fed deeply inside in some place that was calling for more. Um, I did a vision quest in Utah in 2003, and my experience there helped me wake up, I guess is the way I'll put it. Mm -hmm. um, they, they recommended I, I, my physical nature, I think I probably had a Kundalini awakening or something happened when I was in the sweat lodge. And so they recommended when I went on, on my solo to spend three days making love to the sun and the wind and the stars and the trees and the mud and the river. And it was really being in my body in a way that I had never been. Creating that possibility coming back to my world. It took me about two years to even figure out what that would look like, how I could bring something to the world through that experience. But that was the ignition for me. And I began to listen more deeply to myself. 
began to do Tantra study and exploring my own sexuality in a way that I hadn't before. You know, I was sort of perimenopausal at that point and was, you know, my, my libido was lagging. And I really thought that that was a function of my marriage and a function of my age. And I realized that it was really a function of living in a culture that doesn't encourage that, doesn't encourage a real connection to our body and our, to our pleasure. And most women, in my experience, in a relationship with a partner, tend to give over their needs for the partners. We sort of experience that, that the, way, the way sex is supposed to happen is the way men like to do sex. And that is so radically different from what I've found to be an essential aspect of having a flourishing, enjoyable, intimate life into your 80s and 90s. So that was a change that happened for me very early in that process of coming back to what I actually discovering what I liked because I don't think I really knew on my own and then discovering how to ask for what I wanted and discovering how to make, how to make an orientation toward my self-balance with my orientation toward my family and my community and my work. Mary, you spoke about this vision quest that you went on. What was that like for you, you know, to be in such a busy time of your life with, you know, small children and to find the, I don't want to say permission that you gave yourself, but I feel like a lot of women would say, yes, but I have this, or to give themselves permission to find whatever path, you know, this path is the path that you took. What was that like for you and for those around you when you said, I want to do this thing and and you're in this time in your life when you're so busy already? I really felt like I couldn't. I couldn't imagine it. I had just um, discovered an autoimmune disorder. I had, uh, my thyroid wasn't working and I had been through a depression and I had Lyme disease. (laughs) So all of those came together in a way that my body was just saying, you have to do something different. You can't live like this. Um, and so my husband was supportive. Um, I had, we had a wonderful friend who came and lived in the house so that she could help make meals. I mean, it was a lot that was involved in that. And then when I, when I actually left, I think I had not been on my own for more than a day or so in 15 years. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I almost, I discovered who I was. I had forgotten (laughs) who I was. If I wasn't a mother and a wife and a community member and, and a teacher, I'd forgotten that aspect of myself. So it was a, such a powerful thing to to do that for myself. And I, I really recommend that people find a way, women find a way to give themselves a break, to step away. It's, it does seem impossible, <laughs> you know, until you start laying out the steps one at a time and give yourself permission. It's, it's really a piece of this work is allowing yourself to do for yourself what you need. Mm-hmm. You know, most men are good at that and most women are not good at that. Amy, we're, we're both nodding, I'm sure. <laughs> My head is nodding right now. <laughs> None of us can see one another, but you are just speaking right to our hearts. Um, Amy, I know that your story is one of coming to a place of severe burnout, and I have my own bottom that we've shared. Right before that moment of awakening, as you put it, Mary, 
when we realize that something has to change and this is this one life that we have and we've got to do something different. So uh, it's so beautiful. And thank you so much for sharing that with us. And now when you returned and you started to integrate some of this new awakening and this new knowledge Mm -hmm. into your world, what went on between that moment and then wanting to share what you've learned with others? Well, I began to read and I began a deeper practice. I began a Qigong practice um, to start sort of really coming back to my body and connecting to the earth and the environment around me. So that, those were powerful. Um, I, I had a wonderful counselor who I worked with for quite a while to just help me realize what the calling was within me and really listen to, to where I would say my soul is calling, but you can call that whatever you want. But there is this intuition or this sense of something that's coming. Um, I, I, my first thing I did was to do a big symposium about voice. And I invited five women who I knew who were well-voiced in the world, bringing their gifts to the world to come and speak. And it was a really fascinating thing. I'd never done anything like that. I made so many mistakes, <laughs> but it was my, I think it was 2005 that I did that. And from then, step by step, I started gathering women and uh, gathering women in something I called claiming our voices at first, where I wrote an email about some concern that we all have. It could be uh, self-care or um, kindness or generosity. It was just, there were sort of general terms, but I wrote a little blog about it and sent it out. And then I had 15 to 25 women come for an evening once a month and speak about about what was on their heart for any of these topics. And it was a, a timed share. We had a meal. People loved it. And I started to be more comfortable gathering women. Uh, and since then, I've done all sorts of retreats and workshops and um, courses and, uh, you know, been speaking at at different events and different um, conferences and festivals. So it's been a way to step out into the world one by one to just sort of invite women to taste what I, um, I guess, I can't say what I offer. It's because it's here anyway. It's just helping us remember what's possible and um, and adapting, looking at our lives, looking at what the stories that we believe um, and that we've told ourselves for a long time that may not be true about what has to happen and what we have to do. And I think we, we tend to, we often say, I, to, if you ask what's, what somebody's doing in a day, they might say, I have, to, I have to go to the store. And I try to reframe that to say, you're choosing to go to the store because women have been in that mode of victimage for so long. And we're used to that. It's sort of where, where our mind goes. And we tend to go to the have-tos instead of saying, either I choose to or I want to, because we do what we want to do. Even if we say it's not what we do, it really is what we're choosing to do. So reframing that is one of the first steps to really coming back to realizing that you're in charge of your life. You make choices that, you know, most women won't make a choice that hurts somebody else, but just they include themselves in the people they love. I really appreciate how you talk about remembering. And I think as women, you know, we get so lost, like you said, in the day to day and in the tasks of what we 
have to do in the day. And we get so far away from our remembering who we are before, like you said, we were mothers and wives and partners. And to me, it just feels almost epidemic, especially as we get older, we get more lost. It feels like, and you know, I, is that what you're talking to here? Let's, we just get in the habits, you know, our neural pathways are well grooved and we begin to live out of a habit instead of out of our own desire. Mm-hmm. And that piece, you know, desire is almost a dirty word. I had a friend who, um, who was in Portugal for a few months and we were uh, Skyping back and forth and she said, you know, it's just so different here. It feels like in America, but yeah, pleasure is a dirty word. Pleasure is something you really can't admit to doing. You, know, you really have to just brag about how hard you're working. And she found there that they, you know, spend an hour and a half over a cup of coffee. It's something that, that we typically don't do. Our lists are long. It's, I think it's a compulsion that comes along with living in a, a country that was built on Calvinist and Puritan values. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Industrial Revolution, the things that made our country so successful were really about I call it the toxic masculine or the hyper-masculine of living in that overdrive masculine way, which isn't healthy for men either. Um, but it is, it's part of patriarchy. You know, it's a, that's almost a dirty word these days to say, but mm-hmm. it feels so important to say it because this kind of a life isn't healthy for any of us, but we feel like we get on the treadmill and we just keep going. So, so stepping back remembering who we are, coming back to our bodies and our senses. I mean, we have these five gorgeous senses and I think some intuitive ones beneath that to take in the most beautiful place in the universe that we know of. I mean, the earth is extraordinary and we have this capacity to connect with our hearts to women, to men, to children, to animals. There's so much possibility for connection that we lose when we're on that track of how fast, how hard can we work, how much can we accomplish, how efficient can we be. All of that is good if it's balanced with enough being in this moment, enough enjoying ourselves here, enough really living and enjoying the life we have. You know, as far as we know, this is it. Mm -hmm. So I really want to have all that I can have here. And it's almost my... I feel as though it's my obligation, having been given a body, to live fully here, to live fully enjoying everything that I have. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's a little bit of my mantra. I really resonate, Mary, when you talk about the words desire and pleasure and rest. All of these seem like a dirty word. And when I spoke about attending your retreat, you know, I I really wanted to underline that with how what a privilege it was to be able to go and rest it was like I needed to make a lot of excuses of why I deserved you to be able to go on that treat retreat because I did have a sense of almost feeling guilty and ashamed of leaving the responsibilities of my life and leaving this work that I'm doing in order to go and receive a retreat even though Amy and I both know logically that as people who are offering these retreats it is very important to be on the receiving end, but it wasn't easy for me to make the decision to take that break away from my life. And everything that you're speaking about here, I do want to highlight that that's what you taught in an experiential way when we were there. 
And it was such a different way of experiencing life, Mm -hmm. experiencing each moment as a gift and making a point of noticing the beauty around us and making a point of enjoying the pleasure rather than zipping right by it because we need to achieve and we need to complete the next task. So true. You know, when you talk about the, uh, about enjoying, I like to, to create that as a French word and joy and the idea that, that we can be in the joy of life. You know, it's, it's, it's there offering itself to us, <laughs> but making the choice to really bring that in, in even in day to day. It's, there are so many possibilities day to day for this, but we're in the habit of living a life that's in this driven sort of, um, it's like being on a few cups of coffee. <laughs> you know, I think I'm, I can't have caffeine. So the other morning, my, my uh, partner made me uh, some chai and I just forgot that it was caffeinated. And oh my God, <laughs> so much done. I was amazing. I was so excited. <laughs> was but I realized I could feel what it was like in my body to live in that way. And, you know, I think we, we all do it way more than is healthy and way more than is healthy to our receiving joy. The other thing I wanted to just say about this is that, you know, the feminine in, in a purely Taoist understanding, the Chinese forms of, of uh, religion, I guess, understanding that, that receiving is an aspect of the feminine and giving or doing is an aspect of the masculine. If we spend our lives doing and doing and doing and doing and fall exhausted into bed to receive a little bit of sleep and wake up in the morning and then do and do and do and do and do, we're just living as men, as the masculine it's not healthy for the feminine being to live like that. It saps our joy. I believe that's why it's, we have an endemic situation with women who are depressed, who are on antidepressants. So many women I talk to in perimenopause and menopause have given up on sex because it just wasn't that good anyway, and they don't have any drive for it anymore. And they are living a, you know, a couple glasses of wine, ice cream kind of life. Um, trying to fill up what is their natural inclination to receive, but reaching for something to receive and trying to find something and pulling for something because the well is so dry. I guess that's my raison d'etre. That's why I'm doing what I'm doing because I hate to see that. I hate to see women struggling like that when it's not necessary. When it, even though we all say, I'm so busy, there are so many ways to bring pleasure and joy into our life in the midst of a really busy full life. Mary, I, I use um, Ayurveda to help women of my age or of different ages, but I've, I'm especially seeing women, you know, close to my age going through perimenopause or menopause who are struggling immensely with just exacerbated symptoms. And from an Ayurvedic standpoint, we look at this as, as burnout that they have lived their whole lives going so fast and so hard. And now that they're transitioning into the next phase of their life, they really struggle. And when I, I try to counsel them that rest and rejuvenation and restoration would really help 
as they transition into the next phase of their life, there's such a resistance. Do you find that in your work with women that when you're encouraging them to, um, you know, embrace the divine feminine and receptivity that, that there's a resistance? We've been trained since we were infants to, to live this kind of life. It, it's not something that's easily forsaken or shifted just because somebody tells you that it would be healthy. <laughs> we, have, we have so much resistance to it because culturally the value system is for productivity. It's, it's really an assembly line kind of life. And that's, that's what we've been exposed to since we're very young. So shifting that, shifting that for me is, is a work in progress. You know, there are lots of times where I catch myself and stop and take three breaths and remember that I'm right here, right now. Life is okay. It's all going to be all right. You know, I get caught up just like all of us do because that's what's rewarded. You know, that's what, what we've been rewarded for our whole lives. So I have so much compassion for women that I work with for myself, actually, for when I fall into those, those places of, of overdoing. And but I, I think as, as I've learned and stepped back and watched and without any blame or shame, just noticed, and the more you can sort of live in that space of, of not, not putting yourself down, but really recognizing that we're all doing our best in a culture that rewards something that's not healthy. Mm-hmm. So it's a shift, and and the more women can take, put a little toe in, one by one by one. You know, I often recommend just tiny structures. Structures is a beautiful masculine aspect. Without that, we get lost in in a miasma of of vagueness and possibility. So having a structure that can hold us, you know. So um, you know, I sometimes program into my day. I just spoke about these breaths, four breaths a day. And I put it in my calendar because really I'll forget otherwise. <laughs> and it's about a minute and a half of, of a really beautiful breath sequence that I've created, which totally serves me. Another one, just going outside and walking outside for two minutes can change the whole setup in our brains and bring us back to the body of the earth, which is we are a part of. So there are so many little things that can change and can happen so that we can come back to ourselves. And the more we come back, the more delicious it is. And we want to come back more. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's about breaking that cycle and talking a lot about women and the to-do lists and keeping busy. There's also nothing that's going to snuff out the flame of sexual desire more than that kind of exhaustion. And so I know that a lot of the other work that you do is with couples and reclaiming that aspect of their relationship. And there's that moment when that flame seems to inevitably ebb. What are your suggestions to couples when they find themselves in this place of of again and again choosing, you know, maybe the wine and the ice cream and the Netflix over reconnecting with one another and reconnecting with that part of their relationship? Well, I look at this in three ways. Sometimes the core thing is just we're too damn busy and we've made choices and prioritized that over our relationship. You know, I am a big advocate for date night. I'm a big advocate for having them 
having a, a time where you put your phones away, you put any, any electronics away and you spend time together, either doing something or talking or sitting in the hot tub or whatever it is, taking a walk, but you're together. Most couples do not do that. And they experience the closeness that they have in front of TV watching a movie so that's it's sort of a, just a basic thing um, it many of us are um, intimidated by the idea of scheduling an intimate session or scheduling anything for ourselves personally we schedule for everybody else but we just don't want to put that schedule thing on us but frankly we do not do it unless it's scheduled and if it, if you wait for spontaneity Usually one person is feeling spontaneous and the other one isn't. <laughs> so I've found that if you can anticipate, you know, Thursday night is date night for women, that that's foreplay all day. All day is foreplay. <laughs> you can anticipate it. You can, uh, you know, take a bath when you get home from work. You can uh, dress in a way that really appeals to you. You can start to build that, but it really has to be on your terms. Most sexual encounters, and I, this is sort of core to, I think, another reason that many, many women give up, is that, that I, I have to talk about the masculine and feminine energy here. Masculine energy in its, in its most basic form is directional. It's like a penis. It knows where it wants to go, and it, that's how it goes. It moves directional, um, and it starts at the focal point. So for men, you know, you can just grab a guy's cock and he's happy. You know, we all know that that's not what any woman enjoys, even if there's a, there are people that say so. Um, this idea of, of coming directly at our genitals is never going to work for women. But it's what we see in porn. It's what we see in movies. It's what we see. Most men are trained that way and their bodies work that way. So they have no concept that a woman's body is different. Or if they do, they just think she's just, you know, sort of troublesome. You know, that you have to do that to just get her going so you can have a good time. Instead of really catering to her. And most women do not know how to ask for what they want. So there's lots and lots and lots of training there. And then beneath that is really this looking at the, the unsaid things. You know, we all get to a point around certain conversations that we just don't want to go there because we know it's going to be hard. Um, having help to get through those places, having help to release some anger sometimes in a way that's healthy. There are games I teach for, for helping couples to just move some energy so they can get down to what's really underneath that. So there's, there's really working at looking about what's true, what's really happening inside us. Many things are the stories we've made up because of, of our hurt and sadness. And, but beneath that are, are usually some actually quite simple ways of coming back and speaking what's true in a safe environment so that you can begin to listen to one, one another again and come back to an open-heartedness instead of sort of a cold uh, getting by sort of attitude that so many of us fall into because we just don't know how to address those things that are challenging. Mary, do you have for our listeners who unsure of where to start, is there anything that you could offer them to maybe begin to open up that conversation for them and their partner? Yeah, I think it's really a great idea to ask for what you want when you're not in the bedroom trying to make love. Mm -hmm. 
um, if you're if if that's if you're wanting to begin to ask, I just was with a client a few hours ago who just has never asked for what she wanted. She just can't even imagine knowing how to start. And so what I suggested is that um, she and her husband take walks. And I said, you know, if you can help him understand that just touch feels so good to you and it would be okay to hold hands. I'd love to hold hands. That would feel so great. I often suggest that when asking, you acknowledge something good in the relationship or that's happening in the moment. You make a very small ask or an ask that'll be directed. And um, if, you, if you're used to this, you can do a bigger ask. Um, and then do a, an acknowledgement again of what's working or what you love or something that, because um, a teacher of mine, a Taoist teacher once said that, that women are raped through their genitals and men are raped through their hearts. Mm. They are so tender and beautiful beneath all the bravado and all the stuff they have to contend with in this culture. You know, they're tender and sometimes women don't talk and don't say and eventually they get so frustrated that the anger that comes out is so wounding to men. And before I worked with couples and, and men, I did not understand this. And my heart has opened so much to their, to their good intentions. Sometimes they're so disconnected from themselves and their body. They just don't know what touch feels like. They don't know how to touch in a way that a woman can receive it. So there's a lot of learning that can happen back and forth. But again, to ask, to learn to start to ask and to talk about it when you're not in the bedroom and then to really see your, your partner in his highest to, to try to come from that place, from the open heart that we all are. You know, the feminine is all about connection. You know, we, we, one of the symbols for the feminine is our circles. We, we experience circles, we sit in circles. It's, what, it's how we live. We're about that connection. And the masculine is about purposefulness. It's like a straight line. You're going towards something. So men are often not nearly as connected emotionally to other men for sure. Um, but often they don't know how to be connected in that way with a woman. So we bring that juice. We bring that knowledge. We bring that wisdom. But if we forego it because because of their gruffness or their pushing away, we lose the possibility actually for, for feeling their heart. And when I feel my partner's heart, I'm able to drop a lot of my conditions and a lot of things that, that also block my love and I can come much more toward him. You're not only offering for women tools for them to remember their true nature, but also giving them the opportunity to experience all that life is, is offering them, you know, like you spoke so beautifully about experiencing life through the senses and then also giving them tools to reclaim their sacred sexuality and to be able to experience life, all that life has to offer between them and their partner. Like it's just, it's magic to hear you speak about the work that you're doing with women and with couples right now. Thank you. It's, I don't know anyone who sort of brings the combination of things that I bring to the table. So, so right. and honestly, if you had talked to me at 40, I never would have guessed 
that I would be doing what I'm doing at 61. This is not at all <laughs> where I'd anticipated my life going. Um, but I feel like I've been given opportunities uh, that are helpful to others. So having that chance, having that, that um, this, I guess I would say life training, um, it's just a, a great good fortune. Um, and, and really it's just bliss for me. <laughs> it's so wonderful. When I was a music teacher, I was writing lesson plans all weekend long and I, I was so diligent and working so, so hard and so exhausted and, you know, raising a family and it was exhausting. And it feels now as though my work is just play. It's just joy and delight. And, you know, even when I have resistance and conflict, it is just fun. It's fun to do this work. Do you feel that like life has slowed down for you in this part of your life? Well, my children are all in their 20s, so they're off doing their things. I, I have a wonderful partner in my life. I see him two or three days a week, so I have a lot of space. Mm -hmm. um, but I also fill it up with you know, clients and yoga and hiking and other joys. So, so it has slowed down in that I can be the origin of most of my decision making. Mm -hmm. um, that's different. It's different than when you're younger. Um, but the, the flexibility that I developed being a mom and doing so many things for so many people has come in handy for me because I can really feel when I'm going too far into the masculine, too far into, into work. And I can just be flexible enough to move without any shame or blame. Um, so that's, I, I would say, I, I wish I could say it's really slowed down. I think it might slow down when I'm 80 or mm -hmm. 85. I don't know. <laughs> but I love to live a full life and I probably always will. You mentioned your age and I want to highlight for our listeners that you are a radiant individual and the practices that you do to continue to connect with your body and connect with your sexuality are definitely inspiring because you are absolutely living what you're teaching. So I want to put that out there. And then something else that you mentioned when you were talking about holding space and creating those circles for women, um, something that women are longing for is connection with other women, not just that reconnection with their partners on a physical level, but also that reconnection with each other. And I find that every time I sit in a circle of women that it does help me to repair that, that sisterhood wound that so many of us women have experienced at some point in our lives. That must come up for you a lot in the groups that you're holding space for. Um, what do you have to say when it, when, it, when it comes to these different definitions of masculine and feminine and dropping into toxic femininity or toxic masculinity? How does that relate to this sisterhood wound that so many women have experienced that cause us to judge one another and compete with one another rather than holding one another up and being there in support of one another? Sure. You know, living in the culture we live in, it's about competition and scarcity. And what I think, again, it comes back to patriarchy. We were, we were schooled to think that there's not enough and we have to compete. And that, you know, we've all been 13 and lived through that horror of, of what happens when girls do that to one another. Um, I don't think it's natural 
to the feminine. I think it's what happens when we're in a structure that, that pits us against one another. So when I sit in circle with women, I have a, a group that I founded 12 years ago that's now blossoming all over in many, many circles developing called Walking Our Talk. And in that group, one of our major principles is to promise to see one another in our highest. And to sit in circle, I'm sitting in circle with 18 women right now, um, aged from 20s through late 70s, and to sit with women and see each other in our highest, to vow to do that, to recognize when judgments come up. I always say that if there's one finger pointing in judgment towards somebody else, there's three fingers pointing back. Mm-hmm. And looking at that to be curious about, wow, I wonder what, what triggers me about her and what I can do to relax inside. So living in that space, these, these uh, circles that I've created are eight weeks long, uh, one night a week. And by the sixth, fifth week, women are all in love with each other. You know? <laughs> they've, they've come to do a project. Each one of them has a project to do. But they've learned to sit and to see the beauty in one another. And we are so much more aligned with one another than any idea of our difference. So living in that space, when women sit in circle, the world changes. In fact, it was, I believe, before I went on my quest, or maybe right after, I read a book by Jean Shinoda Bolin called The Millionth Circle. And she suggested that if there were a million circles in the world, there would be peace. That's I believe that because I've watched it happen so often. When women are together, they realize they really are great. <laughs> you know, there's so much beauty to us uh, that we miss, we don't see unless we have an opportunity to sit together. I'm so happy that our paths crossed and they crossed at a very special place, a retreat center near Sayulita in Mexico called Haramara. Now, I know that you've been hatching up a plan to offer a retreat for couples there coming up next year. Can we, is this something that we can talk about? Yes. Um, I've invited Nicolai Grissel, who I taught. I learned, I was in an um, exceptional marriage mentoring training for a year, and he was a, also a student with me there. He's a core energetic therapist in New York City and upstate New York. Brilliant man. Um, was a professional photographer in New York for a long time. He's from Denmark, just an amazing being. And when, when we were sitting around the table, I think it was Tuesday night. And one of the women said, Mary, next year, if you book this time over, over Valentine's day, it can't just be a women's retreat. It has to be a couple's retreat. I think that was me that might've said that. (laughs) So I, that, that night I called Nikolai and he accepted my invitation, and so we're cooking something up. It will be over Valentine's Day in 2020 um, at Haramara, which I've now gone eight times. Uh, it is the most beautiful, pristine, I call it sacred place, in the jungle, by the ocean, with the land that's been tended and cultivated with such respect um, that I always feel perfectly aligned. I cried the first time I went. I'd never experienced a place like that. Just that that you're really invited to be off all electronics there. Um, They don't have Wi-Fi. You can go into town and get it if you need it. 
but all the all the casitas are lit by candlelight and by lanterns it's so peaceful it really reconnects us with the earth in a way that i just haven't found anywhere else and i mean the food is mm -hmm. unbelievable i'm sure you can speak about that more lisa but everything organic so fresh so cared for the service people who wait on us are just delightful. I've known them over all these years. They stay, they're, they're just exceptional human beings. Um, and the, the quality of the work I can bring there when my space is held like that is unique. It's, it's really, I, I have not experienced anything quite like this in my life. Speak more about what you'll be offering at that retreat. We likely have women that are listening that think, okay, this would be a really great idea. I would love to have a week reconnecting with my husband. I would love to be learning um, new tools and practices to continue to grow our intimacy or to reclaim that flame. What do you say to men who maybe have never experienced a retreat or any sort of workshop situation, um, what, what, what can couples expect at something like this? That's great. There will be um, some time, it looks like about an hour and a half in the mornings where we gather together. The whole afternoon is free. There's options to work, to, to go and see massage people, to see Nikolai or myself privately. Um, then after dinner, there's a short, very sweet evening. Um, we'll be really talking, bringing all the tools we have. Um, there'll be moments when Nikolai meets with the men and I meet with the women. Um, I think probably we'll reverse that sometimes. So I'm with the men and he's with the women. There, there's the opportunity to really connect and go through any places, like bring, bring up things that might be sort of hindering your connection. But it's so respectful of your privacy. Not don't have to do anything, um, but you're really invited to explore. Um, you know, I found that the the five love languages is an amazing thing to bring. I think I have it on the list. I, I have we have such an exhaustive list of what we may do that I'm afraid to mention all of them because we might not we might be here for a long time. Some people think that the best vacations are just the do nothing vacations, and I found that. For me, what satisfies me most is a vacation that has a little bit of juice to it, a little bit of learning, and then a lot of space. So that's what we're bringing. All right, Amy, are you and Jeff in? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, and we don't have so many casitas right now. I'm about to inquire if we can get a few more. But um, yeah, so fingers crossed we'll have enough for everybody. But I think it will probably sell out as soon as we post it. We better give all of your information and how people can find you if they want to talk more to you about working with you or about this couples retreat or any of your other events. How can people find you, Mary? That's great. Well, probably the easiest way to find me is to go to diviningbeauty.com. And we'll have all of that information in our show notes as well. Great. That's great. And, um, and to work with me privately, I work uh, I always do an intake just where we have a conversation to see where you are and to see if our needs can be met mutually. And then I encourage a, a long-term a, a season of commitment so that we can really dive in. Um, it's so, it's, it's such vulnerable work 
And um, I found that it's very helpful to commit, to take the step to commit for a block of time so you really can move yourself forward. Otherwise, it's just so easy to say, you know, I, I think I'm just going to pass. I'll do it later. <laughs> it's just so easy to do that. And I've watched how when women commit to a block of time like that, that is where real change happens real shifts happen and so much more joy happens. This has been such a, a beautiful conversation. We are so grateful that you made the time for us, Mary. And I hope that you'll come back because I know that we'll have some topics that will love your take on them. Oh gosh, it's such an honor. You know, I've really enjoyed listening to these podcasts and just love the, the way that our teachings and our um, reflections mirror one another. So it, I feel so, so delightfully blessed that you're in my life and Amy, that I've met you and that we have this kind of a really mutual deepening, growing, learning, enjoyable life together. Thank you so much, Mary. I will talk to you soon. That was just beyond beautiful. Oh, thank you. I hated the dinging. I just, oh, it's life. Good. And I really think you did a great job of just going on and saying something similar and just the editing uh, skill in my head is saying, oh, Cliff can cut that right out. So don't even worry. It was, oh, great. it was, that was, there was so much, you were so generous in everything that you offered. You really did offer such useful information. Thank you so much. It was, I just, I feel so honored to be asked. And um, I, you know, I work best with these sorts of question answer kinds of experiences. So it was an easy thing for me. Um, and I, I just feel so honored that you asked. Yes. I'll talk to you very soon, Mary. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Radiant Warrior podcast. If you found it valuable, please leave us a positive review to help others find it. And please check out the Radiant Warrior podcast on Instagram and Facebook to leave us your questions and find out where you can come and practice with us next.